want to continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Beginning in verse number 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word that we've just read. Now, we pray, and I'm asking in Jesus' name, that what you want us to understand from the passage, particularly why the Holy Spirit inspired this to be written and it's preserved for us to read uh, today, that that's what our message would be. I pray you'd bring um, clarity from the passage to us. Uh, guard me from saying anything that's not in line with your word. and um, Give us what you want us to have from it. These verses we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you maybe see them. Hey, my dad had a 1965 Mustang. I, I anticipated that some of you would say, what? No, he did. And it looked awesome on the outside. I mean, they don't make cars like they used to, right? So we had this 65 Mustang. My dad wasn't really a mechanic. He was a little bit more like a tinkerer. And so he had this car, a paint job, and, and kind of gave it to my brother to, so he could drive to to high school, uh, and it did look awesome on the outside, but there was always something a little bit wrong with it uh, engine-wise. It didn't run great. It sounded great, but it didn't run great. You know what I mean? But man, it looked good. And uh, back then, when my brother was driving it back and forth to high school, I learned that I had to kind of stay by the phone about 3.30 in the afternoon uh, because he would call and say, I made it this far, and that's where he was broken down. And so my dad would get there and kind of work and tinker on it. But one day in particular, my dad couldn't quite figure out what had happened. And so he started to ask my brother, because I always rode along, you know, tell me where you've been. He said, well, I just went to the gas station. I said, all right, well, tell me a little bit about that. And I filled it up. He said he did. And my dad asked a few more questions, and we realized my, my brother had filled up the 65 Mustang with diesel fuel. And so my dad, being the brilliant man he is, said, well, I know what the problem is then. So we towed the car home. My dad, backyard, I still see him to this day, gets the water hose out, sticks it in there and starts to do something. I don't even really know what he, I wouldn't be able to do this, but the fuel starts coming out of the car into a container that he was uh, releasing the fuel in. So now we've got a container of diesel fuel in our backyard. Really impressed that my dad did that. A couple of weeks later, it's winter, and uh, my mom wanted us to be able to sit in the living room, watch a movie with a nice fire in the fireplace, but we just could not get that fire going. 
My dad tried everything, lit stuff, newspaper, kindling, whatever. And then he said, wait a minute, I know what to do. So he goes outside. Gets a little bit of that diesel fuel. He comes back to the fireplace. And I want to tell you, the fire lit. It did. But the living room began to fill up with smoke. And I still remember my day. You want to talk about stubborn. I mean, some men are stubborn. We kind of flee. You know, my mom, she's flipped out and open all the doors trying to get, you know, turn it off. And my dad sits in his recliner, starts the movie. And he just, I can still see him sitting there saying, I mean, it's not that big a deal. Just so stubborn. And I just say that story for two reasons. Number one, some wise people can do some really foolish things, right? Solomon is as wise as anyone who's ever lived. But we've been reading this book in Ecclesiastes, and he makes such foolish decisions. Wise people can make foolish decisions. And second, you better be careful what you look to bring a spark to your life. Because the very thing that gets the fire going might be something that makes life unbearable. And Solomon has been that way. We studied it last week. What did he try? All the usual suspects, right? Money, relationships, power, control. He tries it all. And then his conclusion is life is vanity, life under the sun. And again, that phrase that we see again and again in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's referring to a temporal, it's a temporal phase, not a geographical. Under the sun means this life that we have here and now. Ecclesiastes is an awesome book. And what we're trying to do in these days is tie Ecclesiastes and its message and connect it to the Lord's Prayer. Those are kind of our two heartbeat passages because so, much of the, so many of the questions that are asked in the book of Ecclesiastes find their answer, as all things do, in Christ, but specifically in the, in the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to try to do that again uh, this morning. I love this book of Ecclesiastes. We, we've just read what might be the most well-known passage in the book. And if you're in the room of a certain age, you've got the 1965 song by the birds kind of in your mind to everything there is a season. Go on and sing it. Turn, 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 right? So, so these well-known eight verses, when I go on and make sure I say this, are best understood in light of what the rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says. But if you look at those eight verses, just point out a couple of quick things. There are 14 pairs of statements Time to be born, time to die. You read them through. There's 14 of them. And in, uh, in the Bible, seven is often used as a number of completion. So we got 14. We're doubling down on that concept, right? There's 14 pairs, which, which Solomon's kind of getting at is this is what life consists of under the sun. And if we take a quick look at it, I mean, you'll see the rhythms of life. As we read these eight verses, there are probably some memories that pop up in your mind, aren't there? Time to be born. Time to die. That's how it starts. Of course, that's the beginning and end of life under the sun in this, in this world. Who's somebody that's been born? It's precious to you. Remember that moment? I sure do. And somebody enters life and then just changes everything. I remember holding my oldest baby, Mary Clara, in my arms, and it's hard to, hard to even describe, right, what goes through your mind, what goes through your heart. I mean, this person has changed everything. And then, not long ago, hold another baby girl. Then it's a time to die. So some of you have had the heartache of 
both. Somebody precious to you has been born and you held them and then you stood at the graveside. Time to mourn. And we know that well, don't we? Time to mourn and a time to dance. I just want to point out, it does say that. Time to dance. I always put that off. I say that must be some other time. But, but it is there. We, we, we learn something in this passage that if I say it, you're all going to nod your head. Say, yes, that's right. But, but we don't like that this is true. But your response to this undeniable truth goes a long way in your life to your sense of inner peace and, as your, and to, to your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus in the world. How you respond to it. So let's buckle up. Here it goes. Everything in this life under the sun changes. Everything changes. Now you might think, you might think that's an obvious point. And one we all do well with. But friends, we don't. We don't do well with this at all. We don't like change. And if we read these passages, it doesn't say a time to plant and a time to pluck up when you feel like doing that. It doesn't. It, it doesn't say a, a, a time to seek and a time to lose when you've decided that's what you're ready to do. It doesn't say that. So, so the reason we can on one hand all say everything changes, but then on the other hand say we resist that is because we all desire control. That's what we want, right? That's what the fall was in Genesis 3. They want to control. They don't want God to tell us what to do. We'll decide for ourselves. So we know it's true that everything changes. We just don't want it to be true. Or can we be at the steering wheel of the change? We're creatures who like to pretend that we're the creator. Now, the creator is in control, and nothing reveals our lack of control quite like changes that come that we didn't initiate, we didn't agree to, we didn't want, we didn't ask for, and yet here they are. That's why we don't like it. And again, these verses don't say that we're in charge of the seasons. Did you get to decide that it was summer? No, it just happened. How many of you wish it was winter? How many of you are dreading the approach of winter? Yeah. Solomon is helping us because here's, here's kind of a deal. We'll talk more about it. Whatever season you're in, if you're not careful, you'll wish it was a different one. So here's big point number one. I got two big points and then some applications. So big point number one is everything under the sun changes. Everything is temporary. So think about it together for a moment. If, if we don't humbly understand and submit to what God's saying to us in this passage, we'll do a, one of a couple of things. Number one, it's pretty common. You'll get paralyzed wishing a season that has passed would come back. And it doesn't come back. If you could relive any day in your past what day would you choose? But for some of us, we choose a particular day because of how glorious it was, right? But some of us would choose another day to do it different because we made a big mistake. We wish we could go back, but we can't go back. We're paralyzed. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of nostalgic by nature. And I get to thinking, man, I liked, I don't know, 
been here enough to say, the 80s, you know, I just love the 80s, the kid in the 80s. I love those days. So, so one, we can be paralyzed longing for a season that's past, or, or we'll just mark time in the present waiting for a season of life to come to replace the one we're in. We're just ready for a new season of life. Like we just said, in summer, we'll say, man, I wish it was spring, or I'll count down the days to fall. That's kind of how I approach the month of August, by the way. Let's just get through this, because cooler weather, fallen leaves, and pumpkin everything's around the corner, right? But this is important because no matter what season of life you are in, God wants to use it to work in your life. So students who are in the room, you're on summer break. School's coming. Gulp, right? It's coming. To, to the worn out parents of babies and toddlers, they're going to be teenagers. I assure you, in the blink of an eye. And these days you're just trying to survive are days you'll want back. And I'll testify if you've got teenagers and really miss those baby days, you can do both. But what this does mean is that the hard seasons are not permanent. They might feel like they're going to go on forever, but, but they don't. So, so we want to trust God with the seasons of life instead of trying to control the seasons of life. So we can be paralyzed in the current season, looking back, saying, man, I wish I was back there. Or in the current season, saying, man, I just can't wait till I get there. And sometimes that's, if you're not careful, you just kind of go through life that way. And when you're 14, or, or I've seen this with my children, man, often they just can't wait to be older. Eight years old, wanted to be 16. When you're 16, you want to be 21. When you're 21, you want to be 30. When you're 30, I don't know what, I mean, that's probably what the midlife crisis is because it flips. You know, at some point you don't look forward. You say, man, I wish I was back there again. It's, I'm probably, I'm not, actually, I'm not there. I'm trying to learn what I'm teaching here or, or live. So, another mistake we can make is to live in fear and dread about what season might be next. And all of these mistakes kind of contaminate the here and the now. You're designed by God to live in the here and the now. This past week, we uh, went to Passion Camp down in Daytona Beach, Florida with the students, and I love camp. We had an awesome, awesome week. But there is one part of the trip that I honestly always dread. Load up in the van and we start driving. And in the back of my mind, what I dread is when we get to Jacksonville, Florida. And the reason for that is, I think it's the fifth or sixth time I've been. Every time we go to Jacksonville, a violent thunderstorm comes up. I, I don't know what it is with Jacksonville. But every time, so we, we set off this, this past week, and we're riding along I-95, getting further south, and every time we stop, we stop at a rest area, I get my phone out and I look at the weather. I've put Jacksonville as one of the options. I look on there, and here's what it says, 50% chance of thunderstorms. I said, I mean, I wish it was anything other than 50%. That's 50-50. I would love it to be 80%. That way I just know what I'm dealing with. Or 20% and I can be optimistic. So the whole drive, I'm thinking, surely it won't happen this time. Not this time. I mean, what are the odds, right? What are the odds? So I got my uh, GPS out and 
our van was going to go uh, a little bit ahead of the other vans because we were going to register at the conference center. And so we're, we're driving on our own. And, and uh, GPS says, take 295 East. So I do that. Knowing that on 295 East in Jacksonville is this huge bridge. I'm talking about one of these things that goes, it feels like a mile up in the sky. It's not one of these smooth things. I mean, you use like a roller coaster. You go way up. And so I know that bridge is coming. And I can see it a little ways off. And I say, no way. This is not happening. I'm cruising along, and in the distance, I see ominous clouds approaching. And they're coming. You can just see it. It's like a wall of rain. And right as I get on that bridge, the wind feels like it's going to shove the van over. In fact, I took a picture. I didn't take a picture. I was driving, but somebody riding with me. This picture doesn't honestly do it justice. Hard to see, storm, wind. What I was dreading didn't happen. It was worse. And I'm on that bridge. I kind of got blisters on my hands for how I was gripping that steering wheel. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This menacing storm right as I get on to the bridge. It's worse than I anticipated. But here's the thing. We crossed the bridge. We made it. Came out the other side and went long. The sun came out. And I started to think to myself, I have spent this entire drive worrying about something that might happen. And then it did happen. The exact thing I hoped wouldn't happen, happened. But in the end, all I really did was I gave the whole day over to worry. The whole day. Now, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 2. A time to be born and a time to die. It frames much of the book of Ecclesiastes. You are going to die. You are. Life's temporary in this world, in this life. But we don't want to spend our whole lives worrying about the inevitable. Hard things are going to come. Read these verses. A time to mourn. Time to tear. Recently, I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Philippians. So you can hold your spot there in Ecclesiastes 3 and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. A little bit of quick background to the letter. But Paul was going to go back to Jerusalem. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And godly people kept coming up to him and saying, Paul, I don't know if you need to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, Things are kind of dicey there. And I'm afraid if you go back there, you're going to get arrested. If you get arrested, they're going to put you in prison. Man, if they put you in prison, we don't know what's going to happen. And godly people. Christ-loving people would come up to him and tell him this. And, and Paul was told by the Holy Spirit, get to Jerusalem, trouble's going to await. And the Holy Spirit said, and it's time to go to Jerusalem. 
Paul gets to Jerusalem, and guess what happens? He was arrested. Of course, of a, a long period of time, ends up going to Rome. You know, Paul always wanted to go to Rome. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his heart's desire, want to get to Rome. Now he is in Rome, but he's in prison in Rome. But I want us to look together at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He's writing the church at Philippi, this, this church that he loves dearly. He'd started the church. God had done an awesome work in the city of Philippi. And so now Paul's in prison, and he's writing the church at Philippi. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? Imprisonment, wrongly accused, and now he's in prison. He's under a house arrest, which means he spends his days chained to the imperial guard of the Roman emperor Caesar. But he says, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So that brings us to big point number two. Big point number one was everything changes. Big point number two is God can use every season of life to advance the gospel in you and through you. God can use every season of life to advance the gospel in you and through you. I mean, Paul, we're sitting here reading in Philippians, but if you had said maybe eight years prior to him writing this letter, you're going to be able to go to Rome and God's going to use you in such a way that People in Caesar's household are going to come to faith in Jesus. Look, you're in Philippians. Look in chapter 4, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Are we tracking together? How did people in Caesar's own household come to faith in Jesus? through these imperial guard that are chained to Paul day after day after day. You're not going to be handcuffed to the Apostle Paul and not hear about Jesus. There's a divine, glorious irony in Philippians. Paul is in prison, but he's as free as any man on earth. Caesar has all the power, and he has no freedom. You see it? That, that they're, they're, they're chained to Paul, and he's unlike anybody they've ever met in their lives. What do they see? They see a man who says, I'm not in control. I wouldn't have chosen to be here. If I had a, my strategy of getting the gospel to Caesar's household, it wouldn't have been like this. But here's a man in a season of life that's humbly devoted to advance the gospel where he was. And sometimes it's in nice, comfortable rooms like this, and sometimes it's in the hospital. Sometimes it's in the graveyard. Sometimes it's in the prison. He does not write the Philippians and say, brothers, I wish I was back in Philippi with you. And he also doesn't say, I can't wait to be out of prison so I can really get back to serving and sharing Jesus. So, so what we want to say is when everything in my life changes, 
I want to ask God, how does he want me to be changed in the midst of it? Because I can guarantee you, he does not want you to say, I just want to complain about the days gone by and I wish it was then. Everything changes. I spent a, a right good percentage of my life in church. And sometimes churches are the most resistant to this reality. Everything changes. So we need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom because we do cling to an unchangeable gospel. But you can appreciate how Paul could not advance the gospel sitting in prison in Philippi, uh, in Rome rather, in the same way he did when he was in Philippi, although he ended up in prison there too, right? When he and Silas sang until they were delivered. So that means for us, we, we hold fast to the substance of the gospel that doesn't change, but we can't cling to a style of, of presenting the gospel that belongs in a season of life that's past. In some churches, we can, we can be paralyzed by that. So here, here, here again, the, there's never a season of life that God doesn't want the gospel to advance in you. So what does that mean? Is the gospel advancing in you? Meaning your hunger and thirst for righteousness is increasing. Your desire to be more like Christ is increasing. You see in the Apostle Paul's life, as you said his trajectory, he doesn't start out on fire and end kind of limping in his faith. It gets stronger and stronger as the years go by. One question we've asked in the series, kind of the title of the series is, It's a fill in the blank. Life is, and then you fill in the blank, right? Life is, here's some options that Paul could have said. Life is unfair. Especially when you think about why he is in prison. Why is he in prison? As a result of his devotion to Christ. And if he just said, you know what, I've kind of done enough. I'm ready to kick back, relax. I've started churches in Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth. I've written written to Romans. I'm just going to ease on into a more comfortable season of life. I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. Paul fills in the blank, by the way. It's right here. Philippians. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Isn't that great perspective that Paul has? He doesn't look to the future and say, man, I'm kind of dreading what might come. His, his focus is whatever's going to come, I want Christ to be honored in my body. So here's where he, how he fills in the blank. For me, to live is Christ. Life is Christ. And to die is gain. If, Paul's admitting, I don't quite know what's going to happen. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you think... Do you think about your life that way? And we kind of get this selfish mindset 
and we kind of get t- turned in on ourselves. In whatever season of life we're in, we kind of we ask, how is it affecting me? But Paul just said, I, I know that I will remain for your progress and joy in the faith. Can I give you a supplemental uh, principle here? Those two things always go together, progress and joy. Joy in salvation, joy in knowing Jesus is tied to progress in Christ. So in other words, man, Paul sits in prison, unjustly accused, unjustly in prison, more joyful because God's brought progress in his life. That's what he said. People are in Caesar's household are coming to faith because he, he appreciates that he's not in charge of the changes. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Ecclesiastes, we're told there's a time to be born and a time to die. And friends, the time to die is gain if living is Christ. So a couple of concluding applications for, for our lives. Number one is this, release the illusion that you have control over your life, because you don't. There's probably everybody, just about everybody in the room, you're dealing with something that you would not have chosen to deal with if it were up to you. Maybe God can give us grace to appreciate and believe, not just appreciate, but trust That whatever it is in your life right now that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself is the very thing that that most likely God's using to advance the gospel in you and through you. Can, Can you see why the gospel advances to Caesar's household through Paul? There's no explanation. There's no explanation for his joy in prison, right? Not none other than... He believes in the crucified king, the Lord Jesus. So ask God to help you be most present in the season of life you're in right now. For some of you, that's a season of mourning. Some of you, it's a season of dancing. That you wouldn't be paralyzed longing for some other season of life or just marking time to get through it or worried about what's to come. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Deliver us from evil. Main thing I want to say about the Lord's Prayer connected to Ecclesiastes is there's never a season of life that that isn't to be your heart. Your deepest desire is his name to be hallowed. Paul's in prison, hallowing the name of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, our family was at Life Action Family Camp, and I've shared this a few times in a few different places, Sunday school class and meetings. And the speaker was um, preaching and and just kind of said something offhand. And sometimes the offhand comments what grabs me the most, right? And he's talking about parenting. And uh, kind of the inherent 
inclination we have to protect our children. We want them to be safe, you know. And he said, uh, you need to be very careful about raising your children to live a life where they don't need the power of God. And when I heard him say that, I just said, man, that's, I needed to hear that. So, so let's not seek a, to live a life that doesn't require the power of God to be lived. So if you're in a season of life and living in a way that doesn't require the power of God to be at work, you're not really living at all. Well, one more story and we'll, we'll, we'll close. And it's from our drive back from Passion Camp. So we're, now we're heading back north on I-95. Sometimes I use the Waze app. Do you know the Waze app? Punch in your address. And then Waze app is real time and it'll warn you about things ahead. Traffic jams and things like that. So, so you can kind of navigate around them. So we're exit 77, South Carolina, cruising along. It's been a nice day. Hey, this time we made it through Jacksonville clear sky. So I'm feeling good. So we get about to exit 77 and the alert comes on my Waze app and says, there's traffic jam ahead. And I look up and man, yeah, it's, it, the cars are just sitting there. So it says, you take this exit and it starts to take us along the back roads, right? So we're cruising along and you turn left here and you turn right here. And it rerouted me to avoid the log jam so that my drive could continue to be nice and easy and, and smooth. And friends, that's how, that's how we think God should do for us. Just say, God, God knows all things, so he just needs to intervene and update us on how best to avoid what's uncomfortable or painful so that we can just kind of keep cruising through life like the Waze app. But his ways are not our ways, right? He, he has a different destination in mind for us. You know, we get the Waze app, W-A-Z-E, you, you plug in, I plugged in the church address. That's where I'm going. What's the destination that God has in mind for you? Where, where does he want you to get to? I think the destination in mind is joy in Jesus no matter the season. Gospel advancing in us and through us no matter the circumstances. There's no way to bring that about apart from change, that very thing we tend to resist. And us laying down the illusion that we are in control. So, to navigate the changes well, there's something you're going to have to look to again and again and again and again and again. And that something is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So let's end where we began, and that's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're just going to read these verses again, and, and what I simply want you to think about is, what time was it at the cross? Which of these things is going on at the cross? Verse 2, 
a time to be born and a time to die. Which of those happens at the cross? The thief on the cross, did he die or was he born? A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. Which, which of those is happening at Calvary? Time to break down. Time to build up. Time to weep. Time to laugh. Time to mourn. Time to dance. Time to cast away stones. A time to gather stones together. Time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. A time to lose. A time to keep. A time to cast away. A time to eat. Uh, I'm sorry, not eat. Time to tear. My eyesight, mercy. And a time to sow. Time to keep silence and a time to speak. Time to love, a time to hate, time for war, and a time for peace. Well, particularly when we have the cross and the resurrection. It's all of those things, isn't it? It's a complete work of God. It's the central moment of, of history. It's what everything is heading to. The cross is the moment of, of moments. The completed work of God to redeem us. So because of the cross, I don't know what season of life you're in right now, which, which phrase you might uh, pull up from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and maybe it'd be a couple of them, say, uh, this is the season of life I'm in right now. Whatever the season it is, you want to have the cross and God's heart displayed at the cross, speak into it. Speak into it. How in the moment I'm in right now can the gospel advance in me, through me? We'll stand together and we'll pray together and uh, have a time of response together this morning. Father, we need your help because on one hand, all of us can appreciate, understand, even acknowledge that everything changes. But at the same time, we confess that I don't really like that. We have a desire for control. And yet we see at the cross... The, the one who really has control, has leveraged his power and authority to bless us, to help us, to save us. So that life can be abundant, not in connection to our circumstances, but no matter the circumstances. Father, I pray for my church family, for those among us this morning, that they're just in a really hard season. Some things are going on in life that they would not have chosen for themselves. Didn't expect. We ask for grace. And see in the life of Paul that often it's the, those very things that can be most used by you to advance the gospel in us and also through us. So help us to be a people who cling to the cross. 
so that we can trust an eternal God in a temporary world? And when everything changes, we pray that you're changing us more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.